Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see all of you again. It's just like coming home. It's wonderful. Now I'm a man between two states. It was a little cold and windy and rainy when I left. That was God's way of preparing me for the north. So we had enjoyed 70 degrees and I was still picking tomatoes just before I left. So it's nice to have a garden again and I really enjoy that. Well, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Advent, uh, week three, and uh, our text today is Matthew 5, as well as a few other readings. This question came to mind as I was thinking about Advent. We talk about getting ready for Christmas at this time of the year, and the question is, are we ready? Who feels ready now in this third week of Advent. All the presents wrapped, all the food prepared. No, there's a lot left to do to get ready for Christmas. Are we ready for the Lord and to celebrate Him at Christmas? Or let's ask a far more serious question. Are we ready for what Advent is also about, the second coming of Christ? Are we really ready to meet the Lord? Do you feel ready If he came today, would you be ready? The older ones are all going, yes. (laughs) I know how you feel. I've got arthritis in my joints. It doesn't feel good. I'm ready for that beautiful picture of heaven that Brad uh, read to us from Revelation in the Bible study this morning. No tears, no death, no crying or sorrow. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. We have a a church member in uh, Holy Cross Lutheran Church in San Diego where... My wife Janice and I attend, and uh, she works for the medical examiner's office in San Diego. They do all the uh, lab work uh, and autopsies for San Bernardino County. And so across her desk came 15 names and 15 case numbers, all consecutive, of people in their 20s, many of them in their young 20s, that had to answer that question, are we ready, when they least expect it. That's the world in which we live in. When we landed at the airport, uh, my daughter drove us northbound on five, and we passed uh, one car hosting another who was sitting on its hood, and uh, that slowed down traffic just a little bit. (laughs) Christmas shoppers slowed down the rest of it, and then we passed two other accidents and another car with the hood up, You know what it's like when your car breaks down on a busy freeway and Christmas shopping? It's not fun. Are we ready for the things that happen to us in life, the sudden surprises? Some may be final for our lives. It isn't just about Christ coming at the end. It's about Christ coming in our lives when we least expect him. Are we really ready? If we listen to the words of Christ from our text for today, he tells the crowds who listen to him preach, the Sermon on the Mount, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That means no sin, no mistakes, no errors. You still feel ready? Boy, if you put it in that context, that's pretty severe. But of course, it was quite severe in the Old Testament too. The wages of sin is death, Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome. So the penalty for not being perfect is what? 
Not physical death, far worse than that. What did we read this morning? The lake of burning sulfur? That doesn't sound good. That's not good. And we know if we pay attention to the words of Christ that we can't do it ourselves. We can't be ready for a God that expects perfection of us. How can we be sinless when we are full of sin and sin daily, as Luther said, and sin much? How can we possibly be ready? And if the alternative is of not being ready is eternal darkness and suffering and death and hell, that's just not good. And that will make us think twice in today's context with such a violent world. We need somebody to stand in for us. Jody talked about this. The role of a priest was one who mediates for another. In fact, the name for priest in Hebrew is Kohen. You hear a lot of Jewish families called Kohen. Priests, someone who stands in for another. And we need a high priest, as we're talking about in this season. Christ was prophet, priest, and... Brad, are you doing your job here? <laughs> I didn't hear king. Where was it? Yeah, prophet, priest, and king. king. Didn't we learn that in catechism class? I hope so. Huh? King is next week. Oh, king is next week. Yeah. Who's preaching on that? <laughs> oh, you are. Wow. It's a sad world. We need a priest. We need a high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest stood for the people before God. And he had to be prepared. He had to be really, really prepared. And the only way he could prepare was through a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice where blood was shed and blood was sprinkled on the high altar of sacrifice and also splashed on the people. I could just see the high priest saying to everyone, okay, everybody, be ready. We're about to do something yucky. Can you see that? I love that. Jody, that was good. (laughs) It's going to be yucky, everybody. This blood's going to fly. And it did. Imagine being in the front row at the tabernacle. How are you going to get those stains out? Blood splattered on everybody. This was not a small event. It was a graphic lesson that this is the cost of sin. There's something far yuckier than the blood and the sacrifice. It's the sin that caused it to be done. It's the sins that we commit every day and everybody on earth commits. Those sins require an accounting before God and the only thing that will satisfy him is blood. The high priest sprinkled blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people. He went into the Holy of Holies, into the inner place where God promised to meet and there to forgive at the mercy seat. But that high priest had to be prepared and he had to have the blood shed. He had to go in and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant for his own sins first and then again for the sins of the people. There was to be no mistakes In fact, in those days, they tied a rope with bells around the waist of the high priest. If he went into the Holy of Holies and happened to see God, if it wasn't filled with enough incense, he would drop dead. And they would know because the bells would stop tinkling. A little different than the bells we had this morning. And then they would drag his dead body out by that rope because no one was going to go in that place 
after a high priest had botched it, one who was to be as careful as could be. Because with God, there can be no mistakes, no sin. He is perfectly holy. And only a high priest can come before him and offer a sacrifice that will suffice who is himself sinless. Well, guess what? The high priest had to do it year after year after year on the Day of Atonement. Because what? The sins kept coming. And he himself was not sinless. He himself committed sins and the people committed sins. And so the high priest had to do it over and over and over again. And then the true high priest came along. The one to which this kind of worship pointed. Christ who gave his own life for the sins of the world. The two roles of a priest were reconciliation and mediation. Mediation we'll talk about in a moment. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist announced when Jesus showed up to begin his ministry of love and substitution for all of us. He is the true high priest, the Lamb without sin, who takes away the sin of the world by giving his own life. The writer to the Hebrews said, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, how many different ways can you say it? No sin in his life, separated from sinners, apart from them, and therefore able to come into God's presence on his own, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests of the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he himself did this once and for all when he offered up himself. What a gift that is at Christmas. It's a better gift than any we'll find under the tree. That's the best gift of all to save our souls from that fiery death that's going to come upon the people of the world who do not believe in Christ. And I have seen and have borne witness, John the Baptist said, that this is the Son of God. God chose himself to be the sacrifice from the foundation of the world. He knew this was coming from even before the fall into sin, that he would give his own life to save those that he created. But the role of the priest is also fulfilled in Christ. The second role, that of mediator, not only to settle disputes between Israelites as they did in the Old Testament, but to pray for the saints of the new. In Jesus' high priestly prayer on Monday, Thursday, before he goes out to be crucified, he said, I am praying for them, that is, his disciples and his followers who believe in him. I'm not praying for the world, the unbelieving world, but for those whom you have given me, those disciples given by his heavenly Father for him to save, for they are yours. I do not ask for these only, Jesus says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? Those who will believe in me through their word, through the words of the apostles. That's you and me. We're included in his prayer. Isn't that fantastic? He's praying for us. He mediates for us. In Romans 8.34, Paul asks this question, Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, the priest who lives forever, who died for us, yes, but rose back to life, who is priest forever according to the role of Melchizedek, a priest of the Old Testament, 
who is indeed interceding for us. Who gets us ready for Christmas? Who gets us ready for His coming at the end of time? Who gets us ready for His coming in our lives whenever our lives end? Who's interceding for us before our Heavenly Father? It's Christ. Every day, every minute of every day, He intercedes for us. Hebrews says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands like the tabernacle or the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, what does it say? On our behalf. So we have a high priest who has reconciled us to our Father and who mediates for us. It's good to know we have someone in our corner praying for us, appealing to his Heavenly Father for us until the day we see him face to face. We didn't choose this for ourselves. God chose it for us. The same way he chose the people who would help in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. They didn't get to choose. God chose them. As the same way that God called us to faith. He chose the Israelites and he chooses everyone who believes. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel. And the Levites shall be mine. What does that mean? We belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. He owns us because of the sacrifice of his son and because we trust in him and believe in him. And the Levites purify themselves from sin and wash their clothes. And Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord, a thank offering. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. So it was a very special thing to be a Levite, to be one of the chosen, to serve God in his temple. And after that, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, and an even more select number of them, the priests. So they did them. They served God. You know how they did that? They went into the holy place, the forward chamber of the tabernacle, and there were three things there that they did. There was an altar of incense, which symbolizes the prayers of God's people going up to heaven, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. That's how God views our prayers. They also had a table of showbread and wine. Gee, that sounds familiar. The Lord's Supper. They participated in that because they were chosen, the only ones able to do that. And on the other side, across from the table of showbread, a seven-branched oil lamp, which symbolized the teaching of the apostles. Because these people continue to learn God's word, they continue to learn everything they can about the God who has saved them. Gee, that's what we do in the Christian church, don't we? That's what we're about. And so here it is symbolized in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the new of which we are part. Peter says to us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That sounds pretty good. A holy nation, a nation without sin, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness <coughs> excuse me, into his marvelous light. He called us. He chose us. He called us out of darkness to do what? To proclaim what? The excellencies of him who did this. To sing praises about Christ our Savior. And we do that too in worship, to sing his praises. But we need to be doing it in our daily lives as well. To be unafraid and unabashed to tell people about this Jesus who has saved us. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
It's a done thing. It's You have received it. You have received mercy. We talked about Jesus as judge this morning in Bible study. And we said when you come before the judgment seat of Christ, the fix is in. He's already taken care of your sins. When you stand before Him and feel ashamed, you won't be ashamed because you will know that all your sins have been forgiven and that heaven is open to you, that paradise is waiting for you at the end of your life. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. Here's the part where we find out what we need to be doing. Put on as God's chosen ones. It's a, it's a choice that we make in sanctification, not in justification. God does that for us. He calls us and blesses us and sanctifies us. But in sanctification, in the process of living as one chosen by God, put on compassion, kindness, humility. You want to give a gift this Christmas? Just be patient and kind. Parents, be patient and kind. There's a lot of squirrely little ones up here this morning wiggling around. Patience, humility, meekness, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, husbands and wives. Starts there, doesn't it? Forgiving each other so your kids can see you and hear you forgive each other. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It sounds like a council meeting. (laughs) Jim, why are you laughing? He's been president too long. He's jaded. Because in the church, where things really matter, we sometimes forget that we are God's chosen people. We are called by Him to be like Him, to be patient, to do everything in perfect harmony harmony. God bless you as you live out your life as his chosen ones. So are we ready? I think so. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We are perfect in God's sight. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God bless you all.